As the story goes, <laughs> yeah, as the story goes, a West Texas cowboy applied for life insurance and was asked by the agent if he had ever had any accidents during the last year. And the conversation goes like this. Nope. Never an accident. You mean nothing has ever happened to you? You've never been hurt? Oh, sure, said the cowboy. Once I was bitten by a rattlesnake, and a bucking bronco threw me and broke my arm. And you wouldn't call those accidents? Certainly not, said the cowboy. They did it on purpose. <laughs> there are no accidents with God. He works according to His purposes and plans. And as we have already seen, and will see again, God is behind the scenes. And He controls the scenes He is behind. God is behind the scenes, and He controls the scenes He is behind. If you recall from last week, because of God's judgment against His wayward people, the southern kingdom of Judah was subdued. And the capital city of Jerusalem was captured by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. In their conquest... The king ordered that some of the best and the brightest of Judah be deported to Babylon. And of these was a teenager named Daniel and three of his friends. Taken to Babylon to begin a three-year indoctrination process in the Babylonian way of life so that in the end they can serve the king. So with that in mind, with that said, if you have your Bible, turn to Daniel chapter 2, and we will begin with verse 1. Daniel chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. And let me just tell you up front, my plan is to tackle the entire chapter, chapter 2, this morning. Yeah, good luck. Yay, yay, yay me. That's right, yay me. Yeah, it's like, I may have bit off more than I can chew. There's 49 verses 
but I'm going to deal with them in chunks. Big chunks. I know, I know. I'm going to deal with them in chunks, okay? I think we'll be all right. And a lot of this is self-explanatory, so it doesn't require a lot of commentary on my part, okay? What's that again? Okay, speak fast. Okay, okay. Now, in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. And his spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. Either during the final moments of this three-year indoctrination process, or maybe very soon after graduation, we are told King Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. Dreams that disturbed him and caused him to be restless in his sleep. Now you might be wondering, because you're really smart, why I would suggest that Daniel and his friends could be done with their three-year indoctrination process when we are told this is only the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar. Well, Daniel is using a Babylonian reckoning of time. And a Babylonian king did not count the first year of his reign. It was called the year of ascension. So in reality, in reality, three years have come and gone. And Daniel and his friends are likely done with the indoctrination process or they are very close to being done. Does that make sense? Okay. Anyway... Here is the ruler of the known world. His enemies are vanquished. He is secure on his throne. From a worldly standpoint, he has everything he could ever want, but he's having this reoccurring dream. Apparently, an unsettling dream about what comes next. Now with a little bit of hindsight on our part, hindsight is good, with a little bit of hindsight on our part, we know that this is God's doing. This is God's doing, and God will use this to thrust His faithful servant Daniel before the king. So let's continue, beginning with verse 2. Then the king gave orders to call in the magicians, the conjurers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. The king was determined to have his dreams interpreted. 
And so he summoned an interesting group of wise men to do it. Of this group, there were the magicians, who were actually the scribes who wrote their religious literature. There were the conjurers who communicated with the dead. They were the mediums of their day. There were the sorcerers who performed incantations and spells, probably under the influence of some kind of mind-altering drug. And then there were the Chaldeans who were the astrologers. Okay, So this is an interesting group of wise men, not really wise, but wise men standing before the king. But notice that Daniel and his friends are not among them. Then beginning in verse 3, the king's dream becomes a nightmare for the wise men. We are told, this is funny, the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is anxious to understand the dream. Then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell the dream to your servants, and we will declare the interpretation. The king replied to the Chaldeans, The command from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you will be torn limb from limb and your houses will be made a rubbish heap. But if you declare the dream and its interpretation, you will receive from me gifts and a reward and great honor. Therefore, declare to me the dream and its interpretation. They answered a second time, go figure, and said, let the king tell the dream to his servants and we will declare the interpretation. The king replied, I know for certain that you are bargaining for time, inasmuch as you have seen that the command from me is firm, that if you do not make the dream known to me, there is only one decree for you. For you have agreed together to speak lying and corrupt words before me until the situation is changed. Therefore, for the third time, therefore, tell me the dream that I may know that you can declare to me its interpretation. Are you following me? The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is no man on earth who could declare the matter for the king, inasmuch as no great king or ruler has ever asked anything like this of any magician, conjurer, or Chaldean. Moreover, the thing which the king demands is difficult, and there is no one else who could declare it to the king except 
gods whose dwelling place is not with mortal flesh. Because of this, the king became indignant and very furious and gave orders to destroy all the wise men in Babylon. Wow. King Nebuchadnezzar says to the wise men, tell me my dream. Tell me my dream, and then after that, give me its interpretation. And if you do, I will reward you with great wealth and honor. But if you don't, you will be torn from limb to limb. You will be chopped into little pieces. And your homes will be turned into trash heaps. The king was thinking, if they can't tell me the dream, then how can I trust their interpretation? of the dream. The king knew his wise men would make something up to save their skins. They would tell him what they thought he wanted to hear. He knew this. But when pressed, the wise men had to confess they got nothing for him. They got nothing. They can't tell him his dream. In fact, they say no one can. Well, in the king's eyes, they are nothing but phonies. Phonies. The king is livid with their excuses and their protests, and he decrees that all the wise men of Babylon, all of them, be executed and their homes destroyed. So it looks really bad. But remember, this is God's doing. This is God's doing. And all of this sets the stage for Daniel, beginning with verse 13. So the decree went forth that the wise men should be slain, and they looked for Daniel and his friends to kill them. Then Daniel replied with discretion and discernment, to Arioch, the captain of the king's bodyguard, who had gone forth to slay the wise men of Babylon. He said to Arioch, the king's commander, for what reason is the decree from the king so urgent? Then Arioch informed Daniel about the matter. So Daniel went in and requested of the king that he would give him some time in order that he might declare the interpretation to the king. Then Daniel went to his house and informed his friends, 
Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah about the matter, so that they might request compassion from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his friends would not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Daniel wasn't among the wise man who stood before the king. He wasn't there. He's innocent. But that didn't matter. Even as new Jewish graduates from the orientation process, now maybe 17 or 18 years old, Daniel and his three friends are counted among the wise men of Babylon. And as such, they are also subject to the king's decree of death. We're told that Arioch goes to Daniel's living quarters to drag him out. Daniel seems to know why Arioch is there, but he doesn't freak out. Instead, with a cool head, he calmly asks why this decree from the king is so harsh and so urgent. Arioch explained what had happened. And then he allowed Daniel to have a moment with Nebuchadnezzar. No doubt the king remembered that Daniel was an exceptional student. Graduated with top honors. Ten times better than all the other wise men of Babylon. He's different from the others. He's confident. And so the king may have thought that Daniel deserved an opportunity to reveal the dream and its interpretation. Daniel asks for some extra time, and it's granted. And with this extra time, Daniel does the only thing he can do. He turns to God in prayer. This is one of those, oh God, prayers. Oh God, right? This is some serious prayer for Daniel and his friends who join him. And sure enough, Daniel gets his answers. And his prayer turns into a song of praise. Beginning with verse 19. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel said, Let the name of God be blessed forever and ever, for wisdom and power belong to Him. It is He who changes the times and the epochs. He removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to wise men, and knowledge to men of understanding. It is He 
who reveals the profound and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with Him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and power. Even now you have made known to me what we requested of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. In his praise, Daniel acknowledged that God is behind the scenes and he controls the scenes he is behind. Daniel also gives credit where credit is due, for he did not figure out the dream. Let's be clear. Daniel did not figure out the dream. Instead, God revealed it to him. It all came from God. And that's what Daniel explains to the king, beginning with verse 24. Therefore Daniel went in to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and spoke to him as follows. Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me into the king's presence and I will declare the interpretation to the king. Then Arioch hurriedly brought Daniel into the king's presence and spoke to him as follows. I have found a man, well, not really, but hey, I have found a man among the exiles of Judah who can make the interpretation known to the king. The king said to Daniel, whose name was also was, was Belshazzar. Are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered before the king and said, As for the mystery about which the king has inquired, neither wise men, conjurers, magicians, nor diviners are able to declare it to the king. He got that right. However, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries and He has made known to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, what will take place in the latter days. This was your dream and the visions in your mind while on your bed. As for you, O king, while on your bed, your thoughts turned to what would take place in the future. And he who reveals mysteries has made known to you what will take place. But as for me, this mystery has not been revealed to me for any wisdom residing in me more than any other living man. But for the purposes of making the interpretation known to the king and that you may understand the thoughts of your mind. So before the executions begin, Daniel goes to Arioch and tells him he has what King Nebuchadnezzar wants. And Daniel is quickly taken to the king. The king asks, 
Do you know my dream and the interpretation of it? To which Daniel replies, There is no wise man anywhere who can do what you want. He says, There is no wise man anywhere who can do what you want, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries and secrets. And he has shown you, O king, what will happen in the latter days because that's what you were worried about on your bed. Yes, I know that too, O king. And God has revealed it all to me. But there is a God in heaven. Words the king needed to hear and words we need to remember. In the craziness of this world, when everything seems upside down and inside out, when right is wrong and wrong is right, when things don't make sense, when the wise men, the politicians, the great thinkers can't help, when there are more questions than answers, there is a God in heaven. Remember that. So here is the king's dream. Here is the king's dream beginning with verse 31. You, O king, were looking and behold, there was a single great statue. That statue, which was large and of extraordinary splendor, and standing in front of you, and its appearance was awesome. The head of that statue was made of fine gold, its breast and its arms of silver, its belly and its thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You continued looking until a stone was cut was cut out without hands, and it struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and crushed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed at all the same time and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them was found. But the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. You looked, O king, and there before you stood this 
this colossal and dazzling statue presented to you in the form of man. It was awesome. It was awesome. The head of the statue was made of pure gold. Its chest and arms of silver. Its belly and thighs of bronze. Its legs of iron. And its feet, partly of iron and partly of clay, like like pottery. While you were looking at this statue, a stone that was not cut out by human hands struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were broken into pieces at the same time, and they became like chaff on a threshing floor. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace. But that stone, that stone that struck the statue became a huge mountain, and it filled the whole earth. I can only imagine that the king who is likely seated on his throne is now leaning forward towards Daniel. And he's saying to himself, I'm finally going to hear the truth. Daniel knows my dream. And just so you know, just so you know, It's a dream about the Gentile empires. It's a dream about the Gentile empires who will rule the known world up to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Empires that will follow one another in succession Empires that will decrease in glory, yet increase in might, as symbolized by the various types of metals. And keep in mind that when Nebuchadnezzar dreamed his dream, these empires who followed the Babylonian empire were just blips on a radar. Just blips on a radar. So with our advantage of history, okay, with our advantage of history, let's take a look at the interpretation of the dream beginning with verse 36. And I'm only going to touch on these briefly, okay? Because we are going to deal with them again, I think, in chapter 7. Daniel says, This was the dream. Now we will tell its interpretation before the king. So here's the interpretation of it. You, O king, he's talking to Nebuchadnezzar, are the king of kings. 
to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, the strength, and the glory. And whatever the sons of, and wherever the sons of men dwell, or the beasts of the field, or the birds of the sky, he has given them into your hand and has caused you to rule over them all. You are the head of gold. After you, after you, there will arise another kingdom inferior to you. Then another third kingdom of bronze. In those two sentences, he's covered two kingdoms. Which will rule over all the earth. Then there will be a fourth kingdom, as strong as iron, inasmuch as iron crushes and shatters all things. So, like iron that breaks in pieces, it will crush and break all these in pieces. In that you saw the feet and toes partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it will be a divided kingdom, but it will have in it the toughness of iron inasmuch you saw the iron mixed with common clay. As the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of pottery, so some of the kingdom will be strong and part will be of it will be brittle. And in that, you saw the iron mixed with common clay. They will combine with one another in the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, even as iron does not combine with pottery. Okay. Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar that God has given him his kingdom. And in truth, that applies to all kingdoms of the world. God removes kings and kingdoms, and God establishes kings and kingdoms. And as for the Babylonian Empire, Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar that he is the supreme king of earthly kings with unquestioned authority as its monarch. He's a monarch. And he is represented by the head of gold. So it starts, it starts with him. Well, this probably made the king feel pretty good. But not so fast. For history tells us, we have the luxury of history. History tells us that the united Medo-Persian Empire will conquer the Babylonians. The Medo-Persian Empire is symbolized by the silver chest and arms of the statue. 
And after some 200 years, that empire falls to the Grecian Empire under the command of Alexander the Great. This is the third world empire represented by the bronze. Or in some translations it may say brass. Who was well known for their armor and their weaponry of bronze and brass. Whose influence and culture would cover the whole world. Even the New Testament is written in original Greek. Yes, yes. Then there are the legs of iron. The iron represents the fourth world empire known as the Roman Empire. And with its iron legions, that's what they were called, with its iron legions, they overpowered all resistance. Now, they would not be defeated like the other empires. Instead, they would crumble from within due to immorality and corruption. No world empire has taken its place. Think about that. No world empire has taken its place, which leads many to believe that still in the future there will be a revived, a revived Roman Empire led by the Antichrist during the tribulation period represented by the feet and the toes mixed with iron and clay. Yes, they will appear strong like iron, but it's brittle like pottery, and it will not stand. And again, we will get more into this later in the book of Daniel. Lastly is the stone which destroys the entire statue. And Daniel describes it beginning with verse 44. And he says, In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. And that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, but it will itself Endure forever. Inasmuch as you saw that a stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it crushed the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God who has made known to the king what will take place in the future so the dream is true and its interpretation is trustworthy. 
In this passage, Daniel describes when the time of the Gentiles comes to an end. He's describing when the time of the Gentiles comes to an end and the earthly kingdom ruled by Jesus Christ begins at His second coming following the tribulation period. At that time, the stone, the stone, Jesus Christ crushes the Gentile powers so thoroughly that He removes any trace, any trace of past empires and their rule over the world. Obliterated. Jesus will rule and His kingdom will stand forever. Well, how did King Nebuchadnezzar react to all of this? Let's find out beginning with verse 46. We're almost done. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face and did homage to Daniel. Oh, that's not so good. And gave orders to present him an offering and fragrant incense. The king answered Daniel and said, Surely your God is a God of gods and a Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries since you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts and he made him ruler over the whole providence of Babylon and the chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. And Daniel made request of the king, and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the administration of the providence of Babylon while Daniel was at the king's court. Daniel honored the God in heaven, and true to his word, King Nebuchadnezzar honored Daniel and his three friends with great promotions. And now, just as God had planned, just as God had planned, they are in a position to influence this king and future. I was talking to Trish, which I do on occasion, my wife, about this chapter. And afterwards I said to her, so what? So what? How does all of this apply to us? Well, with our advantage of history and hindsight, we are reminded that God's Word is true. If the Bible prophecies of the past have come and gone just as God has revealed, then we have no cause for doubt 
regarding the biblical prophecies for our future. But not only that, just as Daniel said, there is a God in heaven. There is a God in heaven. Our God is behind the scenes and he controls the scenes he is behind. And no matter what, no matter the king or the kingdom that is in place in this world, our God is still large and in charge. And He is always at work in the lives of His people, putting them in the right place at the right time for the right purposes. We can trust our God who is in heaven. And lastly, we are living in the time of the Gentiles. Okay? We are living in the time of the Gentiles. That statue seen by King Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel is still standing, so to speak. It's still standing, so to speak. But that stone, the stone which the builders rejected, the cornerstone, Jesus Christ is coming. Are you ready? Let us pray. Father, I thank you so much for this time uh, in your word. There was a lot of it. And Father, I, I pray that we, <clears throat> that we did your word justice. I thank you, Lord, for hindsight. I thank you, Lord, for history. Where we can see, clearly we can see, that what you, what you prophesied before it happened came to fruition just as you said. Thank you. Thank you that we can trust you. Even in the craziness of this world, there is a God in heaven. And we know you. And even better yet, you know us and you still love us. Thank you, Jesus. May you be honored and glorified in all that is said and done. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> I like prophecy. It's very intriguing. It's very interesting. I'm kind of drawn to it. But prophecy is not given to entertain us. It's given to change us. Prophecy about the future is given so that I might change my present. When you look through the Old Testament, when you look at the, many of the minor prophets, major prophets, 
and they would give their prophecies. Oftentimes they were accompanied by repent. Repent. Change your ways. You're wayward. Do it differently. There is a God in heaven. Turn your face to Him. Prophecies are not given to entertain us. They are given to change us. That's what this is all about. We have a God in heaven. He loves you. Do you trust Him? Trust Him enough to obey Him? You had to go there, didn't you, Pastor? You had to go there. God loves us. And the only reasonable reaction or response to His great love to us is to love Him back and to love one another. That is the only reasonable response to His great love to us. It's pretty simple, isn't it? It makes sense. Do you love Him? You might be here and you don't even know Him. How can I love Him? If you do not know Him, I would love, love. Voice, voice is changing. I would love to tell you about Him. Please give me a chance. He loves you so much. Maybe you're looking for a church home. We'd love to have you here. We're just family. We're just family. Sometimes dysfunctional, but we are family. Yeah, keeps things interesting. We eat a lot. Yeah. Maybe you just need prayer. You know, you're just struggling. You just need some prayer. I get it. However the Lord leads you this morning, trust Him. Trust Him and obey Him. Just respond to Him as He wants you to respond. Larry? Yeah, please. <clears throat>